Welcome to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library Podcast. It's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff Milo, and joining me on the podcast today is author Elizabeth Posthuma, who wrote this amazing book, YA book, called Baby and Solo. We're going to be talking about that. It's actually set in Royal Oak, which is right next door to us here in Ferndale. And it's about a young man named Joel, who's 17. He is on literally page one in a therapy session, and he is working through some things, which you learn about as the story goes on. But his therapist recommends that it's time for him to really move on, branch out, start entering the world, maybe even start making some friends, and possibly getting a job would be a catalyst for that. It's set in the mid-1990s, so where is he going to go? A video store where you go in and rent VHS tapes, and they're due back. And there are late fees and the whole thing. This is a pre-Netflix world. It's a pre-social media world. It's really a pre-almost internet world. So Joel is meeting a very dynamic cast of characters. When he gets to the video store, he learns that a bit of a quirk about this store is that rather than actually having their actual given names on their name tags or even being referred to by their given names, every employee chooses an iconic character from film history. It could be as far back as the early 70s or the 60s or maybe the 80s. So there is a Godfather and there is a Dirty Harry. There's even a Scarlett O'Hara. Who does Joel reach for? One of the most iconic characters, Han Solo, a dashing, swashbuckling uh, smuggler and rebel uh, made immortal by Harrison Ford. That name eventually gets shortened from Han Solo to Solo. The first person he really meets and connects with is Nicole, who goes by Baby, and that's Baby from Dirty Dancing. And I just love the world that this book created, that Elizabeth created, being inside of this video store, wanting to get to know all of these characters, particularly really wanting to get to know Baby, and we do especially get to know Joel, because Joel tells you very early on in the book that he's pretty sure there is a thing that is wrong with him, and it feels you know, stigmatized. It feels like something he can't bring up. It feels like something that will alienate everyone from him if he even reveals it. It's something that sort of messes with his his sense of uh, identity, even his self-esteem. And we go through that journey with him and we see how he starts steadily connecting with baby, developing a substantive friendship with her and getting to that point where he feels safe enough that he can actually be vulnerable to her and open up about these things. So man, Elizabeth really writes teen characters so well. This is an amazing YA book. It's called Baby and Solo. We're going to be talking about it a lot more in the interview. Here is our chat. I've I've always been really drawn to stories where the setting could also be considered a character. And when I was looking back on where I thought it would be a good place to set the story. You know, authors write what they know. And I think my favorite job I ever had was working in a video store. And so I had uh, a lot of knowledge to pull from when it came to that. And also kind of lent itself to kind of an ensemble cast. Mm -hmm. I really miss this about, I don't know what you want to call them, the olden days of the 90s. But I really miss that there used to be, in just about every decade, every generation, there was a place where teens of, you know, all walks of life would work together and they might not necessarily be friends otherwise, but they just happen to all get a job at the same place. And then the nineties, it was the video store. That would have been the place where, where the, the 
the teens got their jobs or hung out or and um, I feel like we're kind of missing that now. If, if you are in 1996 too, and you are in that one building with all those people, your world's a little smaller. It's a little insular because mm-hmm. I can't go on my lunch break and talk to 15 other people on Instagram. I can only it's talk true. to these three people. Right, right. And uh, and I think like lives were richer for that, for being kind of forced to, you know, navigate conversations with people who you might never otherwise met. Yeah. So yeah, we don't have like malt shops. We don't have... Uh, arcades. We don't have record stores. We don't have those places anymore. And I'm really sad for the people coming of age right now that they don't have these settings for their stories. Right. But for this book, it isn't exactly that it's all necessarily instantaneously kumbaya. There's also tensions and some of these people do not like one another and they have to be in a a sort of pressure (laughs) cooker situation. But let's talk about this protagonist. I guess... Tell me about the character that you wanted to get into the head of. And I think it's not a spoiler to say that there is a thing that is wrong with him. And uh, it's from the beginning. And so let's talk about that. So the protagonist in my story, his name is is Joel. That's how he refers to himself. Most of the people in, in the story that he's in refer right. to him as Solo. Because uh, at the video store, they all choose kind of alter egos or uh, work names that are taken from movies to go by. And so he's Joel slash solo and Joel, he either, he either truly believes that there's something wrong with him or he's been told that there's something wrong with him enough that uh, he kind of just accepts it even if he doesn't believe it. So yeah, Joel is a, about a 17 year old kid who is coming out of a season of his life where um, he's, had several mental health episodes and some struggles that have derived from a family trauma that isn't immediately revealed. And he gets this job at the video store as a, as kind of a, a, pres- a prescription from his therapist. It's time for you to go out into the real world and kind of integrate back into, into normal teendom. And he's willing to make a go of it too. Somewhat hes- hesitantly, but he, does seem like he's trying to to make friends here. It's just that he meets someone rather singular and and unique, and that is another employee at the store who is going by the name Baby. I, but before we get into Baby, let's. Mm-hmm. I did want to dig into that that device of having everyone in the store pick a iconic character from film history, which to me has this element of nostalgia. But also the fact that they're, it seems like everyone in this store is of that coming of age cusp of adulthood. It seems like it is, they are ready to act very grown up, but almost attaching themselves to the names is, it's not Arrested Development, but it is holding on to some sort of nostalgia in childhood. Um, am I digging too deep there? There's something there that I really, that really resonated with me. No, I, I think... I do like the nostalgia angle of that, Um, but I also like the anonymity that that it gave each of them, Um, kind of how, you know, maybe the generation that followed them would come up with an AOL or instant messenger moniker or, you know, (laughs) an Instagram uh, account that isn't forthcoming with their actual name. It's just, it's kind of a veil that it gives them something to hide behind. Uh, with their identity, and maybe to explore being somebody different than they are outside of the video store. I think Joel 
when he's explaining Hannibal choosing his name and like perhaps the reason that someone might choose a, a villain name that that maybe it's because that's they wish that they had some of they could embody some of those characteristics of being intimidating when they're not or being strong when they're not. Right. Um, and he even assumes that Hannibal's real name is something much more maybe meek or less flashy um, than, uh, than his, uh, his chosen name. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, uh, on Joel's first day, Solo's first day, we should say entertainingly, I think he attempts to go by Han first. Uh, it just doesn't exactly work out. Uh, but someone arrives and I think almost immediately goes to the bathroom and starts uh, throwing up. Let's talk about this, mm-hmm. this entrance and this dynamic character of Baby. I think Joel is immediately intrigued by Baby in a way that because he's bringing with him all of his history of, you know, he had been, he had had many stays in uh, mental health facilities with other kids his age who are also struggling with a variety of mental health issues. And along with that, a lot of times comes people who are struggling with disordered eating. So that's the, and that's the lens with which he starts to view baby is that oh this this must be someone who is struggling with that and then a, a co-worker of his kind of confirms that mm-hmm. but because of his experience as he has conversations with her and kind of observes her he starts to wonder if that is actually true or if there's something else there and he has all of this knowledge from his experience with people who struggle with disordered eating that it piques his interest that there might be something uh, more layered to what she's going through than uh, the simple label of you know uh, bulimia or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As the writer, you you handled this this subject matter with such sensitivity and honesty at the same time. I can't imagine that that was easy. Can you talk about I guess that that balancing act of of writing this narrative, but also bringing up a number of you know subjects that people consider you know um, difficult subjects or troubling subjects or these real hard heavy things that we really need to be talking about, especially through the lens mm. of a of a teenager. I think that it's it's no easy feat to you know write a fiction book that is just also a page turner, but also heavy. And I guess just talk about the challenges, mm-hmm. the the challenges of doing that, and if there was a, any sense of fulfillment too from from pulling that off. Not pulling that off. That makes it sound horrible, <laughs> Jeff. But do you know what uh-huh. I mean? So to your point, it, yeah, this was a really difficult book to write. It was a very challenging book to write because I I knew the story that I wanted to tell, and I knew that I wanted to tell it with as much empathy and compassion as I could fit into the pages. So yes, it was, it was tricky, but I also, if I was going to make a a Venn diagram of where me as a person intersects with the story, definitely the lives of, of Scarlett and baby and solo, we would have some overlap. And so to pull, you know, some of my lived experiences as well as adjacent experiences and just like, I don't know, like I, I was a high school teacher for a while also. And so the perspective of I would I went from being a high school student to college to being a high school teacher. So that like time frame was really short. Just the perspective of kind of both sides of that coin of being a teen and watching my peers go through a lot of things and experiencing a lot of things myself and then immediately becoming someone who's supposed to have all the answers for them and wanting to help them and just like developing empathy for people who have been through 
just every single one of these these issues that are discussed in the book, it's not, to me at least, it was not far-fetched that there would be in this small group of people so many things. You know, people contain multitudes, and when you have even just a handful of them together, you're going to have a lot of heartache for a variety of reasons, and you're going to have a lot of struggles and strengths and weaknesses, and it's through them being together, I think, that they're able to work through their independent struggles. Yeah. What this book did a beautiful job of demonstrating for me was that there is not as much distance as I really perceived between myself as a grown-up and a teenager. And I feel like once I got through college, once I hit 23 and beyond, I am I'm a grown-up and I'm putting on a brave face for the world. And all of that melodrama from teenage days is 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 just a foreign concept to me now and uh any any of their melodrama i could just i would just chalk up to i don't know um selfish emo kind of kinds of things like oh you should but but this book helped me see that man when you are 17 and you have the these kinds of things on your plate as what joel's going through not to spoil it is that that's that might be something that if you're 28 38 you start to to bury down and really not deal with but what we see is it it erupts out of Joel often and I just found something just much more relatable than it ever had been the way you demonstrated it to, to the way that a 17 year old just oh my gosh has to process this stuff and it is his painful and maybe it isn't better to bury it down maybe it is better to to bring it up and that's what's so moving halfway through the book is that he opens up to to baby and actually tells her what is going on um so there's an honesty to the teens in your book and an honesty to really all teens that i probably discounted as soon as i entered grown-up world does that make any sense (laughs) yeah i mean i think we we all when we're in teenagehood right it all feels like this is the rest of our lives, you know, like the, and, and for some of us, I think we, we stay there for a long time. I know until I was in my late twenties, early thirties, when someone would ask me how old I was, my initial thought is 17. It always was. And I'm like, Oh wait, no, I haven't been 17 for a really long time. Um, You know, but there's something about that, that time that just marks you that coming of age time. It's, it's such a unique experience. You only, you only do it once. Um, And if you are doing that in a time where there's also a lot of personal turmoil, Mm -hmm. I think it can, you know, it can either force you into a quicker maturity or into an arrested development. And because Joel has, you know, for better or for worse, how his parents have handled his mental health journey, um, for better or for worse, he, he is in therapy. And I, I hope that it's obvious in the ways that therapy has helped Joel, even just having an adult presence outside of his parents, who you could honestly say don't have a clue what they're doing (laughs) a lot of times, that he's able to kind of grow in a way at 17 that a lot of other people may not have been able to. Right, right. And again, it's it's like I, I think and act as though I myself was never a teenager. And that's what reading great, YA books can really can really do for me as, as and 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 any reader really is wake wake you up to that kind of stuff and it just made me think about how when you're 17 and 18 
no no love is really as intense as those first crushes or those first big relationships no no song feels like it gives you the same kind of intense catharsis as it does when you listen to it when you're 17 everything is so much more white hot intense and i think that that's just uh that's just um that's just a credit to I guess why we should be still reading YA books when we are in our 20s and 30s. There's still so much we can tap into. Um, anyway, tell me more about um, just the whole 90s vibe. You really captured it really, really well. There's a memorable trip to go see uh, Romeo and Juliet, which was you and I are probably the same age, felt like a coming of age moment. But again, that was a really powerful scene, too where you know joel has a very visceral response to that film i guess could Mm -hmm. you you touched on it before and i really wanted i really want to make that clear is that we get to really see joel on a journey processing a lot here and we do get to see how therapy is helping him but um i guess just um were there any other aspects about his character were there any other aspects about baby's character that were important for you to get right when you got to that final draft i guess there's a lot I can say about both of their journeys, sure. but that, that would involve spoilers. Okay, uh, sure. And, it, it, you know, it's such a tricky because I, I don't want, like, the goal of this book was never to, like, shock anyone, mm-hmm. but to take them on the the journey that Joel goes on. Yeah. And I guess the the way that it that he shares with the reader about his past and it, it, it's a slow, it's a slow boil. You know, he, you see that in his relationship with baby that he's not, he's not quickly able to trust her or if he trusts her, he's worried about losing her presence in his life. If she's, if he's to reveal to her things from his past and you get that sense that he feels the same way about the reader. So there are there are clues along the way, not so much to for someone to treat this as like a mystery or a a whodunit or some kind of like story where you're trying to solve a puzzle, right. but so that you can understand Joel as a human being more, I right. think. I really did enjoy writing the Romeo and Juliet scene at the at the movie theater. Um, one because I also went to the movie theater to see that and had very low expectations. Um, I had read Romeo and Juliet. I don't think there's very many people who aren't familiar with the story. You know, it's just one of those like rites of passage as a high schooler, no matter when you were born, that you're going to face that story. But when I saw it in the movie theater and just like the, it's the Boslerman version that we're talking about for anyone who, who who doesn't know it. And it was just so visually beautiful and so unique as such a unique storytelling and that Joel didn't necessarily choose to go there on his own. He wouldn't have chosen to go see that movie that baby kind of like roped him into it. And then for him to have such a raw reaction to it, like one that he couldn't contain um, and that she has no context for why he behaves the way he does when it's over. I think that's a, it's a, it's a, a very important moment for Joel for himself, mm-hmm. but also for the reader and also for baby, but in three different ways. As I go down the bullet points of things I admire about this book is that, and again, not that I want to get into spoilers here, but you know, we have two main characters. Joel's clearly the lead and it's even told in first person. And to your point about kind of figuring out the mystery that it is told in first person, it's almost as though as you go along, Joel isn't sure if he wants to let you, the reader, and you're kind of implicated in the story into his own life yet. It's almost like he's getting more comfortable with you as you turn the pages um, and as you find out more. But 
I I guess what I what I loved about this book again I don't want to spoil anything but like there's clearly when you see two character names in the title and you know that it's a boy and a girl you wonder like oh is this going to be like a, a, a kind of a tropey love story and by page 50 you're you're already convinced this is not like anything you might expect it is going to go in a different direction and and it, it just seemed like that was a decision early on to make this not about that but about so many mm-hmm. other things really you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Yeah. When I write, I try to leave even a little bit of mystery to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm If I know the all of the details in the entire story, mm-hmm. I have no interest in writing it. Right. Um, so I like that element of surprise along the way. Yes. And so when I started with this idea, um, I wanted a video store and I wanted a male-female male, friendship. Mm-hmm. And that was just kind of my starting point. And then I just let everything thing else. I, I wanted to write something that felt true. And so I had to kind of wait for that to like, as the characters evolved and let it surprise me too. Yes. <laughs> you know, like I, um, yeah. I got to a point where I knew what the story was going to be about because I knew what I did, what I was too afraid to write about. Mm-hmm. And once I knew like, this is this, this journey on this, or this road or this angle or this, this path mm-hmm. is really frightening me that's when I knew that that was the right, the right story. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't always know a hundred percent how the relationship between baby and solo would evolve. You know, if they would either mistakenly process the feelings that they're having for each other as something romantic, if they would develop romantic feelings for each other or what it would become. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I love their relationship. Me too. So much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, in the epilogue, I, I especially love where we leave them. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I feel like we leave them in a place of kind of endless possibilities mm-hmm. for both of them. Mm-hmm. This isn't a question. It's just sort of a, another compliment that I throw at you. You can respond however you want. And maybe it's, maybe it springs from having been a teacher. But man, Elizabeth, the dialogue in this book is so good. It's like, you know how to write teens. Um, that dialogue is just one of my favorite parts of the book. So again, well, not an easy thing. You know what I mean? It's not easy, I would guess. But I can tell when something feels honest and when something feels realistic and when something feels right. And there are a lot of times in, you know, in the editing process where I'm like, that's not something they would say or you know, you say it out loud and it, it sounds too forced or it sounds rehearsed or, and so I really wanted authentic voices. I kind of write from the perspective of like, if I was watching this on some kind of like teen drama, what would they be saying versus if this was a piece of literature in an English class, Mm -hmm. you know, and I always, I always err (laughs) closer to the side of like, what's going to be on uh, uh, the CW than, (laughs) than what sounds more, um, intellectual right i guess um like it's funny because uh i have a daughter who recently read this book and i don't speak the way that my characters speak there's quite a bit of language in the story that she's never heard me say in my life (laughs) (laughs) but it's authentic to the characters Mm -hmm. you know like that is how they talk that's how I imagine these two teenagers would talk in the 1990s. Um, And so rather than force myself into it with like a a moral judgment or a, is this something I would say, you know, you have to let the characters lead you. Yes. And then just for fun, as I wrap up here, I, when I 
visited your website, I saw that you would be prompting fans to tell you what their favorite 90s movie is. Um, do you have mm-hmm. an answer to that question? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> I, you can, I love so many movies. You can give me a top three, too, if you want. Okay. Um, well, I will say that the the aesthetic that informed the kind of inspiration for Baby and Solo the most mm-hmm. was Empire Records. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna get let you give you your answers, and then I was gonna say my favorite is Empire Records, and that was gonna lead oh, into wow. a whole line of questioning. And I was gonna tell you about Empire Records, and when I wrote to you, I almost was gonna tell you Empire Records. And what I wanted to say, I'll let you go forward. For anyone who hasn't seen that movie, uh, it takes place in a record store. It's the mid '90s, and the parallel I wanted to draw, and maybe you're gonna already say this, is that what I like about Empire Records so much is that. Um, there are a couple of romantic subplots, but as you watch mm-hmm. that movie, or at least as I watch that movie, I'm personally not exactly invested in, oh, I hope they end up together. I'm just invested in, mm-hmm. I hope everyone, uh, all these little troubled souls are in a better place and feel better at the end of the movie. Anyway, please go ahead. Empire Records, so good. <laughs> right, yeah, no, I would probably say the same thing about the movie Singles. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've seen yeah, that of one. of course. But it's... It's about a lot of things and a lot of hard things, but it's not heavy. And and I hope people, if they if they take a chance on Baby and Solo, I hope that that I'm not making it sound like you know this is such a dark book or such a sad book. No. And I hope people laugh. Um, I certainly I certainly see the humor in 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 all of the little characters and stories. Absolutely. And I mean, that's, I think those, that's what becomes my favorite stories are the ones that are, you know, both things. Mm-hmm. They, they, they're, they contain the multitudes that, that a good story should. Yeah. Um, they make you laugh. They make you cry. They make you think. They make you feel. Sure. I, I don't have much interest in, in creating something or consuming something that's one note. Sure. But again, to that parallel of Empire Records, there are technically some funny moments in that but I just want to hang out with those characters. So mm-hmm. there are funny moments and fun moments in here too. But even if it was, you know, even we did say the word heavy, but these are Dirty Harry, Godfather, all these characters who are in there with with movie names. We all get to know these people. I just want to hang out with these people. And that's the vibe you created. So, you know what I mean? Same with Empire Records. Yeah, I definitely would love to hang out with uh, the Godfather. Um, she, uh, she... She intrigues me more than than anyone. And actually, she was the only character in the whole book who was inspired by a real person. Mm-hmm. And it comes from when, back when I was teaching high school, I had a student who all of a sudden one day just started dressing and acting and behaving as though he belonged to a mafia family. <laughs> and I would have meetings at parent-teacher conferences with his parents who did not seem that way at all. <laughs> and I'm like, am I supposed to, am I, you know, can I ask them about this? I wonder, like, <laughs> is this like a sensitive subject? So, you know, I get to the point, I'm like, you know, like, can I just ask you like, what's with, what's with the outfits? And they're like, we know it's a phase. <laughs> it's going to be okay. And so I have just always remembered that student and, and just loved his kind of gumption. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this, he should be a character. Um, and then of course I wanted to, it just, it's just, I think so much cooler that the Godfather is a woman. <laughs> yes, of course. 
but there it's a variety they're all a variety of notes and tempos to make musical like they all have their own thing going on each character has their own vibe and that's and i think that anyone who has as we said we where we started if you really worked anywhere in the 90s whether maybe it was a restaurant or a coffee shop or a comic shop or a record store you know you're 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 gonna relate to that vibe and you really created that world and it goes back to what you said of making the setting be a character so success <laughs> you did it it's great oh, thank you. um i really i really enjoyed i really enjoyed this book um so and uh yeah so um authors hate this question but um what do you have any future plans are you working on anything lately is it a is it a slow going process or you have anything done what, what's what's up next there there is a future um some i can talk about and some that i can't but uh i have a another i have a new proposal that's that's actually out right now and i'm waiting for some watching my inbox very carefully right now uh, i can say that much and i'm would it be really the, excited about this next story would it be in the YA? i'm sorry would it be in the ya genre or yes okay um yeah this story would definitely be YA. i i don't think that i will ever not want to write YA. It, writing YA makes me want to be a teacher again. Yeah. And and being a teacher made me want to write YA. There's just something about that time in people's lives. Like it's such a gift to be able to view mm-hmm. from the outside. Just everything that comes along with that. It's such a gift to be a, a part of that as a as a teacher and as a writer. Right. Right. So yeah, I don't know. That's just such an intriguing time. It's again, that's excite that excitement of being on the cusp of adulthood, being just mm-hmm. on this sort of launch pad. You maybe you've lost your innocence, but you also aren't cynical yet. It's mm-hmm. that beautiful moment where where you aren't burying down your feelings yet, like us grumpy adults. So I think it's uh-huh. great. And clearly you 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 write these characters and that age level perfectly. So go for it. You're excited about this story? That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's 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 few moments in life where nothing there's nothing but possibility, you know, and I think that might be the last one, you know. Everything kind of gets funneled after after seventeen. Right. Um, the world, the lanes get smaller. Right. Not that there's not still you know journeys and and exciting things that happen, but you're kind of on the precipice of anything can happen right and then you make a step towards something after that oh gosh i kept you for so long i didn't even just really quickly i didn't even talk about how well you write michigan and royal oak and i just thought that setting it here was wonderful and being from michigan and being literally from this area sometimes when i read local authors and i can't explain why but when they are so hyper specific about loca- low locality, it kind of takes me out of the story. But I was in from page one. And um, the fact that this is a published book going out into the world, it just makes me excited that people are they're learning about our awesome little area here in Metro Detroit. You wrote it so well. So Thank you. And I'm not from here. I didn't move here until I was uh, in my in my 20s. But I was just so charmed. Oh, I was great. so charmed by, by Royal Oak. Um, and... You know, I remember the first movie that I saw at the main art theater and just feeling like this is my place. And then it was only a few weeks because the book came out on May 11th last year. Mm -hmm. um, And it was only a few weeks after that that the main art officially announced that they were permanently closing. Mm -hmm. And it broke my heart. Mm -hmm. I like had all these, you know, big aspirations of like, well, I'll do an event there. And 
And I still have, from when I worked in the movie, when I worked at the video store, I still have the huge vinyl banner for when Romeo and Juliet came out on video cassette. I'm like, I'll bring that. We'll have a whole thing. And then it was, it's like, just slipped through my fingers, the opportunity. But yeah, Royal Oak, uh, that was where, when I moved here, that is where I wanted to be. And I was like, this, and I asked around, I did have, I did have uh, friends who grew up here in the nineties. And I'm like, what was the vibe here? What what kind of kids hung out here? Mm -hmm. And so I went and, and I looked for a property like this is where I want to set it. And this is this is where these people would hang out. And um, yeah, I just I love I love Royal Oak. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, Ferndale in the 90s had very much an Empire Records vibe uh, in and of itself, which I could. Wise. And I grew up in kind of an Amish town. And oh, really? so I'm very jealous of anybody who got <laughs> to have an Empire Records experience in their cool little hometown. Because yes. I did not. <laughs> we were just living the hipster bohemian lifestyle by age 10. I was like, yeah. So, um, well, this has been such a great chat. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, even if you're not officially originally from here, I consider you a Michigan author now. You wrote a great book. I'm riding high on Empire Records vibes. I'm going to go listen to that soundtrack which features the band Sponge, who's from Detroit. Um, Anyway, uh, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And that was our chat with Elizabeth Postuma, the author of Baby and Solo, which is set in Royal Oak, Michigan. It's such an amazing story. Highly recommend it. And we appreciate Elizabeth for joining us. And we thank you for listening to another episode of A Little Too Quiet. This is the Ferndale Library Podcast. It's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each episode is by a local musician. His name is John Duffy. If you want to support this podcast, just remember to rate, review, and hopefully subscribe as well, or leave a comment, or tell your friends about it. Uh, If you have friends out there who uh, really love the YA genre, or are very nostalgic for 90s movies, as Elizabeth and I really are, um, or who just really want a book that is really poignant, and then also charming, but then also honest, and then just beautiful, then Baby and Solo would be the book, and maybe this chat would be a good one to share on social media. So... We'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening.